Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Emmett Mann. Thank you for joining me. Please do rate, review, subscribe, like, thumbs up, all those things that you do on multiple social platforms and on podcast feeds. Um, Today, joining me is uh, Sam Vicini of The Athletic, an NBA writer, podcaster. Man, thank you so much for for joining me. We're going to talk Scotty Barnes today. Isn't that fun? Well, Ahmed, I appreciate you having me on. I love Scotty Barnes. I'm really happy to talk about him, but... God, having me on camera, look, we've been in lockdown here in Melbourne for like 200 days, right? Uh, And I just got here like a year ago, like almost literally a year ago. So I've been living through lockdown and seeing myself on camera right now uh, is concerning in terms of the amount of just paleness on my skin. Like my my skin is typically not this pale to where you can see the red color. Uh, It's because we haven't been able to go outside that often. You can't even go like outside at all, like, or is it? Uh, I mean, we have lockdowns, obviously, like in, over here in Canada. We've been on lockdown for a long time. We're kind of out of that phase now, but at the very least, you can kind of like you know go outside, right? Go for a walk or something. Yeah, that, we can get like an bueno? hour, basically. Oh, we can gosh. get like an hour outside per day to walk around. That finally just ended on Friday, uh, which is great. Yeah. We're excited about that, but uh, nonetheless, it's uh, it's going to take some time. For me to build back up in terms of uh, not looking like Casper the Friendly Ghost on a podcast platform. That does kind of sound like, you know, uh, playtime for, for people in jail, right? They get their hour outside. Uh, admittedly, it does kind of sound a little bit like that's what you guys are going through right now. Um, I, huh. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not diving into comparing lockdown over a deadly virus to jail. I, I think that, yeah. uh, you know, Canadians, I think, have a pretty smart uh, mindset on covid in general so i think that uh you know it's not it's, it's not it's not jail it's a gotcha. smart decision to limit the flow of the virus so yes we'll no, no no question and just so you know we do have our share of uh anti-vaxxers around here there's protests happening just like there probably are in australia and across the world so um we're not uh, we're not uh, innocent by any means but scotty barnes <laughs> Uh, Scotty Burns. Okay. So the reason why I brought you on is because um, you sent a tweet a few days ago and people kind of ran with it in some ways. And as we were talking about before we, we started recording is that Raptor fans are very sensitive. And I think I mean, if you didn't know that beforehand, you know now. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of clear the air on, on your feelings on Scotty Barnes. You did sort of in a tweet, but obviously people just don't forget and people screenshot things and they are, they're going to share them. Like, I know how this works. I know the people who are doing this, they're hilarious, but for, for you, because I, I do believe you're well-intentioned in your assessment of Scotty Barnes. And I do think you, you do uh, think he's going to be a great pro he is a great prospect. So uh, just yeah. first off um, your thoughts on, on Scotty and uh, how he started off so far with the Raptors. 
Yeah, no, I think that, uh, I don't think it's just Raptors fans that are sensitive. Uh, I think that Raptors fans that, that look, you had me on because of a tweet that I sent and I muted it at the end of the day, mostly just because the likes and the, not because of what people were saying to me. I think that like in the first 24 hours, I didn't mute it for like 24 hours, yeah. but in the first 24 hours, I got like 25 people that like said something to me in a negative way, right? And I think that the tweet has like a thousand likes or something. So look, it's like a small amount and people are fans. Like it's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm happy to, uh, look, I, I put my opinion out there publicly and I am someone who's more than comfortable uh, putting my opinion out there publicly, being wrong and being held accountable for it uh in many ways i think that that comes with the job that i do at the end of the day um and frankly i think the only way that i'm going to get better at this stuff uh is by you know being held to account and holding myself accountable especially on it so I i'm someone that doesn't really have a problem with it like I as you guys probably saw like i, I just tend to have fun with people when they do yeah, it and you have uh, I mean, yeah like it's cool yeah. right um, in terms of what my first thoughts are on Scotty, I think he looks really much more effective than I thought he would be in half court settings as a driver. Mm -hmm. And he's getting a lot of his points in ways that make sense to me in terms of what his skill set is. Like, I think that something like half of his points so far are in transition or off of offensive rebounds, right? Which are two areas where he should succeed. I mean, this is a kid that, you know, from the time where he was at university school to the time that he was at Montverde, the time that he was at Florida State, right? Like incredible motor, has always played exceptionally hard, has always been the energy guy. And he's getting all of his points by being the energy guy early on in his NBA career. So it doesn't, really i'm glad that he went to toronto because i think toronto understands how to utilize him and understands how to utilize the things that make him as good as he is and as effective yeah. as he is that's hmm. it's true and uh he kind of touched on that a little bit a, a little while ago actually he said um that at florida state he was kind of playing the exact same way that he's being asked to play with toronto and um <clears throat> Over the past, like, you know, a few months, like they've made it pretty clear that their intentions are to, you know, uh, acquire players and bring in players who are, you know, six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, can dribble the ball, can shoot, can pass, can handle like that's what their MO is. And that's what they're looking for. It's uh, it's an interesting way to go about things. I mean, teams have kind of tiptoed around that in the past, but they've gone like really like full throttle into this. And it's been an interesting experiment so far. And Scotty Barnes, like we're talking about, he fits it so well. And so on draft day, when uh, they didn't take Jalen Suggs, I mean, a lot of Raptor fans and myself too, were just like, oh, okay. Um, your half court offense could probably use a jolt. Um, Jalen Suggs, like, you know, leadership, uh, scoring ability, passing. He kind of fit the Raptors in that way. But then they went with Scotty. Were you surprised when they did? So interesting question. Yeah. I was not surprised because I'd reported throughout the week that the Raptors definitely were in on Scotty Barnes. Like 
I didn't know if they were going to take Jalen Suggs or Scotty Barnes, but I knew that they were genuinely considering Scotty Barnes, right? Like I knew that that wasn't a joke at the end of the yeah. day. That like I know that some Raptors fans had already built up an animosity toward the idea of them taking Scotty Barnes, but it was it was not a surprise to me. I, I guess is the way that I would put it. Uh, I didn't think it was the right choice at the time. Um, I, I'm still not sure if it was the right choice or not, to be frank, but I, I absolutely did not think it was the right choice at the time because a lot of the, a lot of the idea of what Jalen Suggs can be is actually pretty applicable to what Scotty Barnes can be. Scotty Barnes is just bigger in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and I understand why the Raptors wanted to go for the positional size. They're a team that really values that positional size and positional length with ball mm-hmm. skills, as you kind of uh, mentioned on it. Now, in the case of Jalen Suggs, he is also a very similar player in terms of switchable defensively, great high-level passer, uh, just fits a different role, right? But if you think that Jalen Suggs is a point guard, he does have real positional size for the point guard position at six foot four. Like he sure. uh, does have pretty real length. I think he has like six foot six and a half wingspan, which again, when you're de- dealing with guarding point guards, that's a pretty real thing. And over the course of his career in Orlando, the first three games, he's actually been really good defensively in the same way that Scotty Barnes has been really good defensively for Toronto so far. So uh, I-, I guess that what I thought was, Jalen Suggs has more offensive upside because I buy him as a shot maker more than I bought Scotty Barnes as a shot maker. And to me, this Toronto team was one that was desperate for offensive uh, skill (coughs) and playmaking ability. Uh, I still am very interested to see what this situation looks like. Like, I know you want to talk about the Pascal Siakam of it all once, um, Pascal gets back and we kind of mentioned we wanted to talk about that. Um, I'm very interested to see what this team looks like when Pascal gets back, because I think that while he's a great player, he also presents some overlap in a pretty significant way with Scotty Barnes. Not that that's the worst thing in the world. Like Mm -hmm. I think that there's a world where you can play them together, but can you play them together while also playing a true center, which you probably need on the court with those guys right now uh, defensively. And then also play OG and Anobi and continue to have the requisite ball skills you need. Uh, it's yeah. it's a really really interesting team build right now in Toronto. I think. Yeah, and uh, I think um, they were sort of expecting some some lumps in this after the first game. I mean, people were so excited, right? There was their first game in Toronto in like 600 days, and there was a lot of energy. I wasn't at the game personally, but you could kind of feel it, and it was a big letdown, right? And uh, Nick said afterwards that. He probably felt like they were a little bit nervous, that the energy wasn't quite right, like they were kind of up and down a little bit, and there was a big lull in that second quarter, and second and yeah, first and second quarter. Um, and they it kind of cost them quite a bit. But uh, then you go to the Boston game and you kind of saw more of what they were supposed to be. It's that high energy uh defense first, get out and transition, and your half-court offense, and then we'll see what happens, <laughs> kind of. And they're still sort of right. at that yeah. phase, and yeah, and it's gonna be uh, Pascal Siakam is gonna be a huge part of what they do going forward and the lineup stuff is very interesting, but just on Scotty well, in, in the third game too, you, you bring, you know, you bring up the first two games, the third game, what I thought happened was a second game of the back-to-back, right? So yep. they just didn't have the energy. And if you looked like Scotty was really the only guy that had energy in the fourth quarter, it felt like uh, in that game. And then I think the biggest part though, was that Dallas was kind of able to dictate tempo 
in a bigger way. They slowed the game down. They said, okay, we're going to go back to the old Dallas offense and just let Luca run middle ball screens the whole time, which is what they should be doing every time. But exactly. Six quarters. <laughs> you don't need a Dorian Finney-Smith post-up. Seriously, you don't need it? Just no. Luca. Um, but I, I thought that that was a big part of it was Dallas slowed the game down. And I won- I would imagine that most teams going into games with Toronto this year, that's going to be their goal. They're going to try and really slow things down and say, hey, beat us in the half court. We think that Fred can probably beat us in the half court. We don't know if anyone else can right now. Yeah. And another part of doing that on Dallas's end is that um, less risk for turnovers because you trust Luca and the Raptors, obviously they feed off turnovers. So if you're not, you know, trusting the Tim Hardaway's, the Porzingis's to, you know, play make and to create, then there's going to be less chance of turnovers happening than the Raptors can get on transition. And it's a big part of what they're trying to do, especially uh, right now, because the half court is, kind of struggling a little bit as uh, as they're going and Nick has talked a lot about you know he hasn't really touched the half court too much like he was so focused on the defensive principles and also just getting them to understand how they can uh, make things in transition happen and so uh, I feel like he's been asked like every single presser he's like yep still getting there (laughs) not there yet but we're we're approaching it and then once we're there you guys are going to know because you're going to see it um but it is, uh, it's been a bit up and down so far. And I think the biggest part, probably my takeaway from what we've seen, is that kind of their defense is it's going to be more vital than probably it has been in, in past years because they just don't have the playmaking. Um, and uh, if they don't have that, then it's going to be a lot of issues. But with that said, though, I think they do have the defense, defensive guys to do that, like the switching that they're looking to do. And I was actually surprised the way they guarded Luca. I think part of Nick and this is like his mad scientist brain. This is what he does is that I'm not going to show all these things yet. He wants to still figure out what they're able to do with their one-on-one defense, because right. I'm surprised they didn't do more zones. I'm surprised they didn't box in ones and throw more things at Luca. Like they've done this stuff in previous years. He's just not doing it with this group because he said um, a couple times that he'll probably be less creative with them because of the size that they have at all positions. He doesn't want to like complicate this. He's like, we have the size everywhere. Is this going to be about, guarding the person in front of you and I'll uh, also help defense, of course. Yeah. And look like these first, you know, 10 games for Toronto, they're going to be about creating an identity and a culture more than yeah. anything. Like they need to figure out what they're good at. They need to figure out uh, what they can excel at, what they're not going to excel at. And then on top of it, like, look, there's going to be experimentation. Like they, they were running out like multiple different ball screen coverages that resulted in them putting two on the ball against Luka Doncic, which is just like death in so many ways. Like he's going to hit the right guy every single time. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily take that as a bad thing. Uh, I don't take that as saying Nick Nurse did a poor job in that game. Uh, I take that as, okay, Nick Nurse wanted to see what can happen when you know, yeah. he has someone like Scotty Barnes flying up and blitzing the ball along with the guard or, you know, whoever they had guarding Luka Doncic at the time. In a lot of cases later in the game, it was OG and Anobi uh, whenever he wasn't dealing with foul trouble. So That's I, I think that he's exper- <laughs> Yeah, like I, I think that he's experimenting. The fouls were not great against OG yesterday. No, like we can just say that. Um, but I think he's experimenting is my point of this. And I think that's fine. And I think it's a reasonable way to go about seeing how these first 10 games go. Like, I don't think that if they like, look, if they go like two and eight or something like that, then yeah. Like, you know, panic, I think reasonable 
minds can panic, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if they go four and six or something like that, look, well, like I think that this team is so young, it's just going to take a little bit of time to, you know, figure out what they're good at at the end of the day. Like they, they might be really bad in half court offense. And we should talk about Scotty's role in that too, because I don't know how good Scotty is in half court offense yet. Yeah. But like, I think that they have enough transition play and enough defensive upside to where they can hopefully get through these first, I don't know, what do we want to call it? 20 games where Siakam is probably going to be out. Or yeah. It's kind of up in the air. We're not really getting a clear indication of when he's going to be back. Some are saying it's going to be early November. Others are going to be like, it's no, it's late November. So it's, yeah, it's kind sure. of up in the air. So, yeah, no, it, it's going to, it's all, it's all about experimentation this part of the year. I feel like. Yeah. And uh, the key to that, like you're talking about, is they just need to be kind of hovering around 500 once Pascal's back. And then, obviously, things are just going to change quite a bit. I mean, right now, he's still experimenting quite a bit with his rotation as well. Um, it seems like he's got kind of a, a top nine, but then once uh, Pascal's back, and also Yuta Watanabe, um, he's going to be part of, he's going to factor into this too. I think they're both going to be jumping into the rotation, and that means a couple other guys are not going to be playing too much. Um, yeah. But on, uh, on Scotty, because... I mean, to me, like so far, one of the biggest surprises that we've seen has been uh, the growth in his jumper. And I'm yeah. talking really from like the day that we saw him on in summer league to now. It's it seems like it's I mean, it's a night and day difference to me. And uh, Nick has <laughs> he very proudly talked about night school, which has been shooting school for a few players. And it seems like uh, Scotty has been taking advantage of that. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because to me, when we talk about Scotty Barnes's jumper, we have to separate the process from the results in a lot of ways. Um, anyone that saw Scotty Barnes shoot in high school and then saw it, I want to say honestly, like not really change a ton by the time he got to Florida State. It got a little bit better, but it wasn't much better. Yeah. Uh, from where he was then to where he is now, just in terms of the structural and mechanical changes that have occurred within the jump shot it really is night and day uh he is a player that has uh complete not completely there is still like a touch of a pause there but for the large portion of it he's gotten rid of a pretty significant hitch in the jumper mm -hmm. uh basically over the course of six months i would say uh yeah. he has really improved his base he used to have this really goofy wide base on his jumper that if, if you watch Scotty play in general, he plays very upright, right? Like there isn't a lot of bend or flexibility there, which is kind of strange for someone who is as athletic as he is, right? Sure. Uh, he plays weirdly upright. Like there just isn't a lot of bend there. And I think that what we saw was there was not a lot of bend throughout his knees in his jumper. And there was not a lot of, there was just like a strange amount of like stiffness throughout yeah, the jumper. No flow. It was very robotic and mechanical. And it still is a bit stiff to me, but he's really improved the base and he's really improved the hitch. And those are the two things that I was most worried about. Now, like we need to talk about results here too. Since he's been with the Raptors, so you count mm -hmm. summer league, preseason, regular season to this point. So three games in the regular season, et cetera. Outside of 10 feet, Scotty Barnes has made 19 of 57 jumpers. So, and that's outside of 10 feet. Yeah, That's 33%. He's made five of 15 outside of 10 feet uh, in the regular season so far. So 
while we're excited about the fact that he's made five jumpers throughout his first three games in the NBA, and I think there is like legitimate reason for excitement there. I also do think that like we shouldn't be surprised if we look up at the end of the year and he's shooting 33% on shots outside of 10 feet. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to be like the worst thing in the world necessarily because his game is translated in another way that I'll talk about momentarily that is arguably just as important as the jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it could be, it could be a situation where the jumper numbers just don't look great and people look at it and go, Oh, he still can't shoot. He might not be able to shoot like exceptionally well. Like I don't think he's comfortable from the three point line at all yet, yeah. but the steps being made here, I think are the most important things. Uh, the progress is the most important thing. And I think that that's where uh, there's a lot of reason for upside uh, if you're Toronto and there's a lot of reason for excitement if you're a Toronto fan. Sure. And uh, like you had mentioned, most of his baskets so far, most of his attempts have been layups and dunks. Like it's almost 50% of them have been just that. So, and that's kind of you talking about too, is uh, the versatility of Scotty, right? And because of his size and it's just how physically imposing he is, like it's kind of rare for a rookie to come in and be have that kind of body. Like it's sort of like the Zions, the LeBron James, when they're already coming in, like they're NBA ready. It's no muscle needed to be added. Like they are good to go. And that alone is going to make Scotty kind of a, a threat from the get-go. And that's sort of what happened is um, his leaping ability, his strength, and just the overall size of the Raptors like across the board. Um, we're going to get into this in a second with the, with the starting lineup is that he's going to have a lot of mismatches because, I mean, I think they're going to have, he's going to have a lot of mismatches just because of um, OG and Pascal, like they're going to need, teams are going to need the, their best players, their best defenders, their most lengthy guys, their most athletic guys to guard them. And it's going to leave Scotty. And there's only a select amount of teams in the NBA that have players to guard all three of them. And Scotty, he's so comfortable, it seems like to me, um, just kind of doing the dirty work. He's like, you need an offensive rebound? I can do that. You need to work in the high post a little bit? I can do that. You need to run in transition? I will do that. And he's going to pick up um, easy buckets that way. Yeah, and I think that that is where I may have been most wrong. I don't think I was wrong about the jumper. The jumper was what it was, no, right? Sure. Like it was it was a bad jumper, and I still have questions about the jumper results, yeah. right? Uh, it's gotten better, but I think that it's still an open book in terms of where that lands. What, what I think I got wrong about Scotty is – I was a little bit worried about the way that he was able to score at the basket in terms of self-creating shots going toward the rim. Yeah. And the reason for that, now thinking back on it, I didn't realize how effective he would be in the wider spaces that the NBA allows. Now, again, this is a circumstance where playing for Toronto and playing for Nick Nurse is a significant help. Because again, like I've watched both of the Magic's games so far, and I, I don't, I don't want to curse. This is a Canadian podcast. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> you um, curse? Come on now. Whole, <laughs> it's not that. We're not that Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Have you watched? Uh, if you guys have watched Magic games, watch how terrible that spacing is on that yeah, court. Man. Like you yeah. cannot imagine a world where Jalen Suggs has one side of the court emptied out. Uh, in a way that like Scotty Barnes has had like a side of the court emptied out for him to straight line drive toward the rim uh, multiple times. But at Florida State, and and this is where, uh, this is a thing that I think these bigger ball handlers particularly struggle with in the college game, 
right? I think that college referees are so fucking excited to call charges and they are so like, and the court is so much more condensed because yeah. the three-point line is shorter and because college coaches don't start their offense at 27 feet, they started at 22 feet often, that these bigger ball handlers, they just like physically don't have as much space to operate. Like it's harder for them to find those little cracks and crevices to be able to extend and finish, right? Like mm -hmm. I actually really like, like one thing that Scotty has shown so far is his ability to avoid like contact with, um, you know, uh, you know guys in transition steps. trying to step up and take charges. Yeah. yeah. Like I particularly wrote in the draft guide, like I think he has a great Euro step. I think he has an incredible ability in transition to avoid contact. And in college in the half court game, he didn't get to show that at all. Like yeah. that was just not something that he ever, uh, like he played like a pseudo point for Florida state and they gave him some opportunities to drive, but because there were like multiple collapsing defenders in the paint every time that he drove, because Florida State was an okay shooting team, they weren't like a great shooting team last year. Mm -hmm. And look, if you're uh, if you're guarding Florida State, your goal is not necessarily to stop them from shooting a three with a guy who's going to make thirty five percent of his threes. It's sure. going to be to stop Scotty Barnes from getting to the rim, right? So. I think that where I misevaluated him is a fallacy that I have noted in the past as something that uh, bigger ball handlers struggle with and then mm -hmm. didn't apply to him in many ways. Like I just didn't love the way that he attacked toward the basket. I didn't think he got the most out of his athleticism going toward the rim. Yeah. Uh, in the college game. And realistically, I think that that was more about the college game than it was about Scotty Barnes, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I think that Scotty just had the paint crowded so often. You see him in, in terms of how athletic he is now in open spaces. I mean, he just covers ground so quickly that he's going to be fine whenever he has any sort of like transition, semi transition look. And, and that's why he's definitely a good scorer. Like, I called him a no level scorer in the half court uh, in the draft guide. Like, I, I kind of think he's at least a one-level scorer at the rim. Like, I feel good about sure. that right now. Do you think um, what you're talking about with uh, how things kind of transpired with uh, with Florida State and that, you know, the lack of spacing, him not being able to kind of spread his wings a little bit, do you think that factored into this question, which was, why wasn't he kind of part of that top four that was suggested, which was like, the top four, which was Suggs and Mobley, and Cunningham and Jalen Green, it's like those guys and then the rest. And then you don't really know what you're going to get from everyone else. Why wasn't he in that group? Because, I mean, I remember like uh, at the beginning of the season, you know, those teams do, or you see uh, sport media companies will do like those graphics, like who's going to be rookie of the year. And it's, it was those oh, four yeah, guys. Yeah. But now, now I'm seeing Scotty in those. <laughs> that, like, that's how much has kind of changed over time. And I, I'm curious, like, especially with, the way the NBA is kind of trending, right? A person like Scotty seems like someone that not just the Raptors would want, but any team would want. Why wouldn't you want a six, nine guy who can dribble and pass and, you know, his shot is what it is, but like, there's so much physical tools there already that are going to translate so well. So why wouldn't you put him in that, that core? So I think a big problem that Scotty faced in that regard was simply unselfishness on his part like he is such an unselfish player and all about winning almost like 
to a fault, uh, not necessarily to a fault because uh, he it clearly like built great character within him. And I think he's going to be an exceptional NBA player because of it. Like in terms of what his profile was before college, even uh, he always took kind of a backseat. Like you go back to his junior year in high school, he played next yeah. to Vernon Carey uh, university school. And Vernon Carey was like the go-to guy on offense. It sounds ridiculous now, but like Vernon Carey was a top five recruit in the country and everything went through him on the interior in that situation. Right. Yeah. So Scotty took a back seat there. His senior year, he transferred to Montverde where he played with Cade Cunningham, Moses Moody and Dayron Sharp. It was literally like the best high school team I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So Again, he was kind of the dirty work guy that took a back seat and didn't really get a chance to showcase who he was offensively at Florida State. Again, Florida State is just a situation where there is no primary guy offensively. Uh, that's not how Leonard Hamilton runs things. He, sure. you know, Scotty Barnes averaged 10 points a game or whatever. He was among the leading scorers, but he was not the primary guy. Like he'd occasionally bring the ball up the court. Uh, they would occasionally run him in like a pick and roll. Uh, but for the most part, like it was spread out well within that scheme. So mm-hmm. over the last four years, like this is a stat that I tweeted out, like after he had uh, 17 shots in his first game or second game, I'm sorry. He had yeah. 13 shots in his first game. Like, the most shots he took in a game at Florida state in college with all of these physical tools that he has, he took 13. It was the most shots he took in a single wow, game. That's at Florida crazy. State. Huh? Yeah. Like he took 13 in his opener in the NBA. He took 17 in his second game in the yeah. NBA. So this is genuinely the most primary role that Scotty Barnes has played on a team in at least three years. And you can honestly go back to his junior year where he's next to Vernon Carey and you can say four years. So it's, I say all of that and I give that context to say that Scotty Barnes is someone that to me didn't necessarily profile as a primary ball handler and as someone who can be the primary engine of an offense. The guys that were taken ahead of him are, in my opinion, guys that could be the primary engine of an offense at some point if things go right. Uh, Cade Cunningham, uh, to me, is just going to be like the engine of a great offense for a long time. Jalen Suggs, I was higher on Jalen Suggs than just about everyone. I still think I probably am. Uh, I think he has a chance to be like not only an engine of an offense as a point guard, uh, but also like an all NBA level defender in a similar way to Scotty right? Just in the backcourt as opposed to Scotty being in the front court. Um, Jalen Green is a guy that, you know, certainly can get buckets. I was a little bit lower on Jalen Green. Honestly, if I have a regret, it's not ranking Scotty ahead of Jalen Green, which mm-hmm. is probably the one that I'm like most looking back on. And, you know, I, I knew I had these concerns about Jalen Green and like I still maintain them uh, to some level, uh, just in terms of what his overall impact on the game is going to be. But Jalen Green has a chance to have 25 points a game still in the NBA yeah. once his jumper gets worked out and once he, um, you know, just figures out where help defenders are coming from at that level because uh, it's probably going to be very similar to like Anthony Edwards' rookie year where Edwards was not very effective in the first half of the year and then he exploded in the second half of the year because he figured out uh, essentially where everyone was coming from and how he can be an effective scorer. 
And then the final guy is Evan Mobley. And I kind of thought that Evan Mobley had a better chance to be a primary scorer than Scotty Barnes is. And frankly, Evan is the only rookie I've seen so far. Like, look, we can like, you know, parse between like Chris Duarte, who's 24 years old, right. Um, about like who the best rookie has been so far, but you know, it's between Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes in terms of effectiveness so far. And I would lean Evan. Like I think Evan's been phenomenal for Cleveland. Um, but again, like another guy that can be a big ball handling hub for an offense. So to me, that was why he wasn't within that top four. It was purely because uh, I didn't really see him as a primary ball handler and like a primary source of offense in a way that Cunningham, the two Jalen's and Evan Mobley had a chance to be. That does kind of correlate with some of the things that we've seen so far this season. Um, just so people know, so far this season, uh, Scotty's averaging 18 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, usage around 22%, and his offensive rating when he is on the court, the Raptors are plus 11.2. So obviously a huge impact there. And he had a quote a couple of days ago, and people were asking like a lot about his jumper. And he said that he's comfortable, he kind of said he, he's comfortable using it, um, but he's also okay with kind of recognizing situations. And there could be cases where he's like, you know, we had like three straight jumpers, possession after possession after possession. He's like, maybe this isn't a time for me to shoot a jumper. And it's like stuff like that, that kind of shows, it kind of goes with what you're saying is that he's so aware of his surroundings. He's, he's such a game manager already at this age. And that's kind of rare that he's willing to I mean, put winning, put his teammates, put everything first because he just wants to win so badly. And if anyone knows Masai Ujiri, he should probably have like a tattoo win on something on his body because all he <laughs> wants to do is win. And he found a guy like Scotty who's just like, you tell me how I can help us and because all I want to do is win and I will do that. And he's got the abilities to do it. It's kind of a, a match made in heaven, those two actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, no, it really is. Like, uh, I thought Scotty Barnes was going to be like a elite level role player, like hundred million dollar player, like top fifty player in the NBA. Maybe makes like mm-hmm. an All Star game or two. Like, you know, right around the borderline, like bottom of it, right? Yeah. Like, um, maybe probably not an All NBA player was where I had him, but you know, definitely a top 50 guy that affects winning at a really high level and where he went was going to be dependent on the jump shot. Right. And I still think that's ultimately where we sit. It's just that everything else has translated at such an exceptional level to this point that we should feel much more confidence in him being at the very least uh, a winning player. Like Scotty Barnes is going to help a team is, specifically the Toronto Raptors, he's going to help them win ball games. Like at oh, yeah. the end of the day, point blank. It, now where it goes from here is going to be dependent upon where the jump shot goes and the results aren't there. The process is there. The mechanics are there. He's an incredible worker. Like anyone you talk to about Scotty Barnes will tell you like, you know, incredible, incredible worker. So I think there's real reason to believe that his upside is beyond like that top 50 level that I thought. Uh, and probably more like, you know, top 25 player in the NBA at some point if things really break right. And top 25 is where you start getting into like consistent all-star territory, not necessarily, um, you know, maybe he makes an all-star game, you know, maybe uh, that happens at some point, you know, once you get into that top 25 territory, like that guy makes the all-star game most years, right? Like, I think that 
that's the upside we're talking about if the jumper continues to come along uh, in the way that it has to this point. You think to some degree that he's probably, I mean, you kind of mentioned this as well, but what we're getting at is that he's probably a better NBA player than college player because. Oh, um, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the spacing around him and also his court awareness, like his processing speed. I, I, it really is unreal for someone of, of his age. And he's already getting those opportunities in the high post where just like a Marcus Gasol, guys are cutting around him and, and he's being uh, asked to make that pass. And that is just not something that, all players are able to do and then, and that they're trusted to do, but the Raptors have put so much faith in him. Another thing that's interesting about him is when he's not, you know, shooting jumpers, like the, the types of shots that he takes, they're all very similar right now. You know, he, he knows like he has certain post post up moves, post up moves that he does. He has like his jump hook, right? Everything's kind of the same. And I think that's, again, that's him saying that I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. And I know if I'm not, if I'm doing yeah. something that I, I'm not the best at, I'm hurting my team now. Right. So that's why he's kind of staying in a bit of a shell to a degree. Although, I mean, the Raptors, they want him to keep on expanding. And I'm sure he will, but he's comfortable in this position, in this role, doing exactly the things that he knows that are NBA ready, that he can score on. While another player, not saying anyone, but some guys would try things, right? They're saying, let me see if I can pull this off. Let's see if I can uh, make this happen on this possession or that possession. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like I've had some success with this sometimes while Scotty's like, that's not a high percentage shot for our team. So I'm not going to do that, even though I could, but I'm not going to do it. And that's another well, thing. Like, that like I would, so like compare it to the Raptors, right? Like I would imagine that's part of why like Malachi Flynn isn't playing right now. Like Malachi Flynn just like tries shit from time to time. <laughs> and I love Malachi Flynn. Like, I think he should be in their rotation right now based on the end of the year last yeah. year that he showed, but like, you try shit from time to time. Like we can just say that it is what it is. Right. Um, in the case of Scotty, like I'm really glad you brought up the processing speed because the ability to get out and transition, grab and go to lead the break. Like he was considered a point guard at Florida state. Like yeah. it was mostly in name. Like he would bring the ball up and then hand off to someone to initiate the offense essentially. But that stuff's always been there. Like that was something that like I've written about a lot of times. Like I, I really love the way that he thinks about the game. I really love the way that he passes and makes plays, especially in the open court. I think in the half court, things are still moving a little bit and the gears are still turning. That's like totally good and normal for a 19 year old. Right. Sure. But I think that he has that real ability to make plays on the move, particularly 
in a way that other guys don't. Like I remember when Jaleel Okafor was coming out, people would like marvel at his passing ability in the post, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at Duke, they'd be like, oh my God, like, look at this guy. Like he makes these incredible cross corner kickouts. Yeah, everything is like from a standstill though, in his case, when he's the hub and everything is re revolving around him as like the sun and then the rest of the players are the planets. That's not going to necessarily, I mean, people thought that would happen with Jalil for in the NBA, but it's not necessarily what happened. Mm. Most of the sets that you see NBA teams run now, uh, and this was case, this was the case when Okafor was coming up even, you have to be able to pass on the move and make decisions while your body is in motion because things happen so much faster in the NBA. And that, I think, is a skill that Scotty has always had. Scotty has always had the ability to make decisions on the fly when pressured. Uh, it, it's actually the most important skill. Like I, I think that the guy that I, I most likened him to was Andre Iguodala in a lot of ways. Like I thought he was like kind of a bigger Iguodala. Uh, and again, another guy that like fits everything that I said earlier about like, you know, made an all-star game, right? Um, definitely a huge part of winning teams because of his yeah. ability to process because of his defensive ability because of his ability to play unselfish basketball um yeah to me like that's a huge that's a huge win if he ends up having like an Andre Iguodala like career given that you know I don't know that I would put Andre Iguodala in the Hall of Fame personally but there will absolutely be discussions about Andre Iguodala going to the Hall of Fame whenever he retires so mm -hmm. I, I think that that's kind of the the ballpark you know i know some people have said the idea that he could be like a top you know five or ten player i need to see like way more from the jumper before i get there but look i mean the ceiling to me is definitely top 25 player in the league and that's about when that's about where andre Guadalla peaked uh when he was with denver if i remember correctly yeah um it's funny you mentioned his name because i was uh, when we're doing our previews going into the season I was actually thinking of OG and Anobi and Andre Godala came up because I compared them, but obviously the, the physical abilities, but you know, they're, they both have a, a unique way in which they score. It's not exactly typical, but um, defensively they're there. The basketball IQ is amazing and they just have so many ways in which they can impact the game. And I think I think uh, Iguodala's like best season. I think it was uh, one of his last seasons in Philly, and he it was like uh, 19 points. Uh, it was like seven assists or seven rebounds, you know, four assists, something like that. And that was something that I was hoping that we could see from OG and Anobi this year, something in that kind of range. Because I think that I mean I'm hoping, right? We can, God willing, get a, a much better game uh, uh, the other day. He was actually able to put the ball in the hoop and he didn't shoot three or 14 or something like that, but. Um, it's interesting that you say that name because again, it's it's very similar to Scotty again, and it's this is again the Raptors kind of building their model is that they want a bunch of physically imposing players, right? Who can do all these different skills and Iguodala, um, yeah, I mean Hall of Fame, who knows? But he definitely has a name in the NBA when it comes to the you look at the history of the game. He, his name does stick out as someone who is very unique. Yeah, it resonates. I mean, he won a finals MVP, right? He was an all-star, yeah. I think once, maybe twice, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, no, that's like, if Scotty Barnes ends up being that, it's funny, like you, you bring up OG with comparing him to Scotty, like it, it's almost like 
because OG just had nowhere near the processing speed when he first got to the Raptors, right? Like he had nowhere near the ball skills that Scotty Barnes has. Um, it's almost like if you put, you know, 20 year old Andre Guadalla into OG Ananobi's like frame on, in some respects, right? Because Scotty has all of those like crazy processing things and can really, really pass and can handle the ball in transition and can make plays but he's just bigger. Like he's way bigger than yeah. what Andre Iguodala is uh, yeah. in a way that, you know, OG Ananobi and like, by the way, like I'm an enormous OG Ananobi fan. I, I don't know if, I know that some Raptors fans like want him to be like the primary guy while Pascal is out. Like, I, I don't really know that he's that, but another guy that I think he's going to be a top 50 player in the NBA for a long time. Like, I think he's so, so valuable defensively. Like, uh, very real had a very very real case for all defense last year um and i think that if he you know ends up playing a full year this year probably will end up making all defense uh to be honest i think he's that good on that end and then he's a 38 percent three-point shooter that you can count on consistently you started to see like the pick and roll ability last year um it's nascent like he's still really navigating that but anything that he could bring just like as a second side creator um on that you know on the ability to handle the ball and drive and score and you know get into the mid-range and pull up right like that'd be enormous uh for the raptors so you know i'm building around scotty barnes og ananobi guys like that like i i think it's the best way to build because those guys are the absolute most difficult thing to find in the NBA. I, I, again, just also think that like Jalen Suggs is going to be a uh, like top 15 player in the NBA and uh, brings a lot of the same defensive attributes uh, and pass brings an even higher level passing ability. And he's going to score at some point. So it's, yeah, it's Scotty Barnes would have been a great number. He would have been like, the number three overall player in the 2020 draft. It's just like there were four guys this year that were sure fucking phenomenal, right? Yeah, it was a special draft. Um, anytime we get to speak about OG and OB is always a good thing. So just on <laughs> on that, um, I, I think a lot him. of people were. Yeah, I mean he's 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 a he's a special talent, and every single year he's adding a little bit more to his into his his game. And this off season, it seems like he went really went to work because preseason that's why probably people probably felt like that uh, he was ready to take on that number one role because it was so impressive what he was doing his shooting off the dribble uh, how quickly he was able to get his three-point shot off um, and then you just add those things to what he can already do you're just like this is a really good player right now and the first two games didn't go as well not ideal to probably face Boston early on when you're you know trying to take on this role as a number one person because Boston's tough Right. But then, you know, switching over to the Mavericks. Were they, were, were they in game two? <laughs> oh, no, you know, hey, you know, I hear you. No, you know, you're right. You're right. right? They, they did kill them. But I'm just saying, OG, he went through it a little bit in that game. That's all. Right. Because oh, come on, man. Like, if, I, I know how much Raptors fans love the slander. Like, let me slander Boston a little bit because that was like a pitiful performance in game okay, two. Right? Okay. Like, go. Right. Give me 60 seconds. Go effort, <laughs> like, effort wise, it was terrible. Yeah. Like they just yeah. didn't bring it uh, in their second game. And like, I look coming off of a double overtime game. Like I get it on some level, but I mean, Jesus Christ, like, what are you doing? The Raptors just like, it, it was effort to me. It was, that was an sure. effort win more than anything 
Um, in yeah, no, Jesus, yeah, I, that's all. I, I just wanted to say, yeah. like Boston, that was pitiful in game two. Like that it was. was atrocious. It, it absolutely was, and that was a great moment. One of my my favorite moment actually wasn't any single basket. It was Marcus Smart. Uh, there's a photo that was on Getty. It was him just kind of standing there, like looking really, really sad. Um, that was my favorite moment from that game because uh, Marcus Smart, as we know, after game seven, he called himself the King of the North and people definitely yeah, brought that up when, <laughs> when <laughs> after yeah. that game. Obviously, I mean, the Celtics, they won that series and everything like that. But uh, this you got, you got nice to see moment. Scotty Barnes like scream in Fred Van Vliet's face. Like that yeah, was, that was right. the best. That, yeah, was that, was, just... that was terrific. And that's... Uh, I think it was during that game, Gary Trent Jr. said he he said to Scotty, he's like, they can't stop you. You're a problem. Yeah. He looked at him, he said that, and that's when Scotty got the confidence to keep on shooting because it's not his nature to do stuff like that. I don't think he even like he wants to be the number one scorer, right? He just wants to win games and do things within his realm because he he's happy impacting the game and like a whole bunch of ways instead of just impacting it in one way, which would be the the scoring. So a unique talent. And I guess this is kind of a good time actually to to pivot to the Raptors starting lineup because Pascal Siakam is uh, going to be back at some point. And I'm really looking forward to it because my God, their half court offense needs it. And uh, I think I'm hoping that he gets back to being that top 30 player that he once was. Um, I think he will personally. I think he's going to, I think he's uh, in a good position to do that with this particular roster. It's much better than last year. As Nick said, it's like their depth is 10 times better than it was yeah, yeah, yeah. seasons and also you know COVID all the, the whole there's a whole bunch of reasons why he hasn't been like the guy that he was back um before the pandemic started um but when he comes back like you got your best player back and now you have to start making some really tough lineup decisions uh it's a good problem because you have so many good players and you're not really sure who to start but if do you think they could move Scotty to the bench so it's a great question I don't think I would start all of Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and OG Ananobi along with a center. Like, yeah. I, I don't think I would do all four of those. And Scotty Barnes, like, profiles exceptionally well to being, like, a 30-minute bench player right now who comes in, brings energy, brings toughness, like, changes the trajectory of a game when necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Just through his infusion of, like, athleticism and positivity right I think I would start like all three of those guys in the front court and play Pascal as like a pseudo center yeah and like even have like OG like guard centers from time to time like honestly OG is probably a little bit better at guarding centers than Pascal he did is, last so, like, year he had to because they didn't have a center last year so he had to but, right yeah. so like I, it's really I, tough right it's hard it's not easy yeah like I I think that that's what I would do. I would start all three of them and then Gary Trent and Fred Van Vliet. Mm-hmm. Do I think they will do that? Look, you would know better in terms of what the Raptors will actually do than I do. I I would bet that they bring Scotty off the bench personally, but like that's not um, that's not based on anything other than like kind of guessing just given what you know the information is about the raptors you know having previously gone through situations like this yeah um i i kind of lean towards the same thing um i think the minutes the bench minutes would be good for him as he as he continue to expand his game and, and to uh find different ways to score um 
be as influential as he can be in the half court, just have more of his, uh, the ball in his hands. And uh, with yeah. um, the starters, like it's just not going to be the same. And of course he's probably going to be finishing a lot of games. Um, and then also like, what do you do? Like you have Cam and Precious and you're not going to play them both at the same time. I think they did that against Dallas. Didn't look, look great. Not something you want to keep on doing. Can't do it. Uh, yeah. And they both should play. And I'm sure like there's going to be situations and Nick has done this too, is that he'll just kind of change it up game by game. Right. You got Joel and beat. Okay. Well, Cam get in there, but then if it's another team, maybe it won't be Cam. And that could be a, a case that uh, he does that, but I think they're, they're going to need Gary Trent's scoring. That's one of the biggest things to me too, is that uh, I find in Pascal, he's going to make a tremendous impact, but why wouldn't you want, you know, Gary out there, right? He's, he's shown that his, yeah. his uh, offensive game has, has, has continues to evolve and he's bringing that defensive intensity that Nick loves, um, especially on the perimeter. You need that. He wants that aggression and you got Gary and Fred doing that. That's a pretty good start. And then you have, you know, a, a great three-point shooter a guy who can get a shot off really quick and that's going to help complement OG and Pascal and in a lot of different ways. And then you just let Scotty be Scotty. Right. He needs a ball in his yeah. hands and he's effective at it. And you can make your second, your second unit that much better. And then, you know, down the stretch of a game, do what you want to do. Right. I'm sure it's going to be Scotty, OG and Pascal and Fred, and then insert here. Right. And then the guy you didn't mention there is Chris Boucher. And there are going to be games where Chris Boucher just has it going. Right. Yep. Th that he's going to have to play. Right. Sure. Um, you know, you typically know within like five or six minutes, if Chris Boucher is going to play, seven minutes in a game or if he's going to play 22 <laughs> minutes in a game. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Chris is going to have games where he's going to be able to play 25 minutes in a night, maybe even 30 minutes in a night occasionally mm -hmm. um, where he's just really effective against the specific, you know, lineup that the other team is yeah. throwing out there. So, you know, Precious, I think, has been really good so far. Uh, you know, Ken Birch is a really good guy to have off the bench for specific matchups, as you mentioned, like, you know, having to deal with bigger centers that just don't always exist. But, like, if you're facing a Jonas Valanciunas, you're facing a Joel Embiid, like, yeah. you need to have someone like that there, right? Um, yeah, no, like, we'll see what their big rotation looks like. Like, I still think that's the thing that – that's the position they could upgrade – most on but then also you're not gonna like close with whoever the center is either yeah. for as long as you have pascal siakam on the roster so like uh, i don't know it's a weird it's so it's a positive that they're set up this way when mm -hmm. you're building and still trying to figure out who your best players are going to be and as your best players are developing and growing and maturing yeah but for now, it's like kind of a weird situation where, okay, you want to get these guys this time and you want to get these guys these minutes. That means that a great center probably isn't going to want to go to Toronto right now, to be honest, because they would think that Pascal's mm. probably going to close the five with Scotty and OG, and then they're going to play Fred definitely. And Gary Trent's probably going to close. Like they have um, Precious Achua, who I think can like – potentially close games as a center because he can actually really move his feet and defend on the perimeter. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky mm -hmm. spot to navigate for Toronto if they're actually trying to win games. But as long as their goal is just pure development right now, which I think it probably is like, I think that they care way more about that than they do specifically about winning games. Uh, they think big picture more than little picture while still maintaining a desire to win games in yeah. small picture. Um, yeah, I think that they're handling it about as well as they could right now.
as we wrap up the pod. And uh, again, Sam, thanks for, for, for joining me today. Just, I was curious on, you kind of touched on it too, is this season, right? And uh, what their, their goal is. They've said that, you know, playoffs are the goal, um, but we also know that development is a lot more important and that uh, Nick, or, uh, Nick and Masai and Bobby, they value championships over playoff appearances. That's why uh, Masai said last year, playing for what? Right. That was the comment that was that went kind of went, uh, viral. It was hilarious. I was in that presser. And when he said he's like, playing for what? What? What, what playing? Why? Because what, what value is that? And uh, so I'm curious what uh, you think, what's going to happen with the Raptors this year? Like uh, Scotty Barnes kind of becoming this much of a factor on the roster and probably his continued improvement throughout the season. Pascal's coming back. You you could make the case that um, if they're in a decent spot when Pascal returns, things are only going to get better. And I think they've kind of shown that this model that they that they're that they're rolling with it does have some wheels to it that it can work. And I think there are they are going to win some games. So, um, what do you how do you think this season is going to go for them? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's. it's- it's a great question. They were so obviously. I do look. I, I gamble and like I do over on. Oh, bro, me too. Scotty Barnes has made me. Scotty Barnes has made me money the past couple of days. Absolutely. Oh, it's the best, <laughs> isn't it? Like, yeah. um, yeah, between them and like the the Mavericks under, like just pure bet against Jason Kidd because like, what are we doing here, Jason Kidd? Um, Definitely not uh, Luka. Dutch I think roles, that's for sure. <laughs> so it took them just a, just long it took them just long enough to figure that out for me to win money yesterday so i was pretty happy there you about go that. um <laughs> in regard to their like success this year i think they're over under if i remember correctly was like 33 and a half 34 and a half something in that range yeah i, I took like the 30, under 37 yeah what if it was that high, i definitely took yeah, the under. yeah. okay um I definitely took the under, not because I think they're in a bad place. I just didn't know where the offense would come from. And Mm. that has kind of borne itself out. And I also took the under because I thought that they were undervaluing the Pascal Siakam injury, uh, just given the uncertainty around when he's actually going to return. Um, I kind of estimated it at 20 games, whenever I did like my mental calculation on it. but, uh, you know, who, who knows? It could be 10 games. It could be 25. We, we, we don't really know at this yeah. point, kind of like you said. So, look, I think that they are probably right on that borderline of a play-in team. I don't – I think that a big part of the problem is that the East is much better this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacers are – way better like i know that they gave up that 20 point lead to the hornets in the opener but just their process what they're doing offensively i think they're going to be way better like they're shooting threes on over 50 percent of their possessions when they have the actual personnel to do so uh all, all of what they're doing makes sense to me you have the hornets who i think look really good with lamella ball um, yeah. I really love what James Borrego is doing. Um, they have Gordon Hayward, who, again, like, if not an all-star this year, definitely within that top 30 players league-wide, I think. Just like, stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, like, they, if they stay healthy, yeah. and, like, look, Toronto as well. Like, if Toronto stays healthy, then they can easily leapfrog some of these teams as well. Um, we saw in the opener. Like, look, I didn't watch the opener. Um, I watched the last two games that Toronto played. Um, but Washington doesn't look too bad right? Like Washington looks like they're ready to make a leap here and they're uh, doing it 
without these incredible contributions from Bradley Beal. Like they're actually kind of doing it with depth right now. So um, that has to be a little bit of a cause for concern as well. Uh, Chicago obviously took an enormous leap this offseason as well. So I just look at the bottom of the East and it's way better than what it's been in the past. It's so much better than what it's been in the past. I think it's going to be difficult for Toronto to jump into that like top seven, unless Boston is just a total fucking nightmare, which like they might be um, given their first couple of games, they might just be really bad. Sure. But I don't think that they are like, I, I think they're probably okay. I think the Knicks are pretty good. Like, I think that there are enough teams there that are good enough to exceed yeah. Toronto right now. But that's okay because I think Toronto has their eye on the bigger prize, whereas some of these other teams like Washington, like I don't know what the fuck Washington's doing right now trying to win games. They're um, trying to keep Bradley Beal. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. <laughs> I guess. Um, but, but like, uh, you know, Charlotte, I think, is building correctly while also trying to win games in like a weird way. Um, like all these teams are trying to win games, whereas yeah. Toronto – they care about winning, but they are a lot more focused on the big picture, it seems like. And that's that, that's a better position to be. Like To me, Toronto is in a much better long-term position than Washington, despite the fact that Washington is uh, just beat them on opening night, and maybe they finished with a better record than them this year. But mm-hmm. that doesn't, I, I think Messiah agrees exactly. that like, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. It's something to keep in, in mind because I think Raptor fans, you know, one year without playoffs, like it's been so long, it's been kind of a constant. They've been top four <laughs> year after year after year. And so like, all right, so last yeah. year didn't go as planned. You take a step back, you take a few steps forward, let's get back in the playoffs. But it's even like the things that we're talking about with the Mavericks game, like Nick didn't, you know, empty the bucket, right? He didn't empty it because yeah. that's not the plan. That's not what he's trying to do. They're still tinkering and figuring things out. And it's like decisions like that. And I think we're going to see more and more of it uh, throughout the season. Like you mentioned, Malachi Flynn, he's not playing too much right now. What, they got to decide what they want to do with Malachi. And uh, there could be cases where you can make the case where, you know, Delano Banton has been very impressive so far. He kind of fits what they want to do a little bit better. Unless Malachi's coming off the bench and like being Lou Williams, I, you can make the case that maybe Malachi shouldn't play. But if they want to, yeah. you know, continue to groom Malachi, had a pretty tough year last year. It's a, not a great year, as Anthony Edwards mentioned, too. Not a typical year for a rookie <laughs> last season. No summer league, all these factors. Um, they got to give him a shot. They got to give Malachi a shot to, to show what he can do. So and probably he was really, right. really good late in the year. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, Malachi won, uh, was really rookie, good uh, late in the year. Yeah, he won rookie, uh, Eastern Conference <laughs> Rookie of the Month. Like, he was very good. Um, so yeah. he does deserve a shot at this, right? And uh, I'm very curious what they do because there's a, a few different ways that they can go about it. I do think they value winning, but how much? I don't know. I don't know. Unless like they want to play it out and they, they'll decide like on the fly sort of what they want to do because if you're winning games and things are going well and Pascal fits like a glove and you go on like a 10-game winning streak or whatever the case is, all of a sudden you're like, oh, here we are in fifth place. That's pretty good. Um, look, this team just had a major injury. Oh, so I guess they're not going to be in the top six anymore. Right. Now what do we do? Right. Things like this could happen. And as you said, they're definitely going to be valuing uh, development over everything, but um, I mean, Nick's still Nick. And I think that he wants to win games and he's going to put the team in positions to win games um, in most more cases than not. So it's going to be interesting. Closing thoughts uh, for yourself or should well, I just let you I, I continue just... with your day? <laughs> 
get your coffee. No, in you. I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of them continuing to compete while still rebuilding, because I think that it's like, again, like I've watched both the magics, like first games, yeah. that team is unwatchable right now. And like magic fans can go, Oh yeah. yeah, they're without three of their starters, but like the starters that they're without are Markel Fultz, who you know probably won't be right like the whole year. He'll come back and he'll inject some creativity, but like he's probably gonna be on a minutes limit. He's coming mm-hmm. back from an ACL tear. Like you know, it's it's not like he's gonna inject everything that this offense needs. They're gonna sure. get back Jonathan Isaac, who you know who knows what's going on in Jonathan Isaac's head first and foremost. But like Ugh. second, not exactly a crazy infusion of offensive skill in the case of Jonathan Isaac. If anything, he's really going to help them defensively. And then third, they're going to get back Chuma Okiki, who I really like as a two-way player. And I guess the, like he'll inject some shooting and um, defensive ability. But again, like he's not going to inject the creativity that this offense needs. So like you watch the Magic and they're – just they're really hard to watch right now like it's like yeah, why are you, doing you know yourself? that scene yeah you know that scene in a clockwork <laughs> orange where like they hold the guy's eyes open like it's that right now having yeah. to watch it as a magic fan yeah um yeah. so and i'm not a magic fan i'm just doing it because i want to see all these young guys because i think they have a really interesting group of young guys but i don't think that they're being utilized in a uh particularly interesting way and I, I think that just given how many young guys they have it's kind of tough but mm-hmm. i compare them to where toronto is right now toronto's playing really fun games like realistically like i guess orlando is probably a year behind toronto mm-hmm. but you look at like the contract control that toronto has versus what orlando has right like jonathan isaac just started his uh rookie extension right pascal siakam i believe is on the second or third year of his rookie extension which one i think it's one uh, i think two, it's his third right? i think it's his third year now or sorry no second second yeah. year yeah second year so they have three years left of pascal siakam orlando's four years left of jonathan isaac and pascal siakam's much better right um og and just started his rookie extension um what a steal you know you oh. still have scotty barnes yeah i know right it's an incredible <laughs> contract it, like the fact that Gosh. og took that is bananas to me like I, I think he would have gotten maxed i don't know about max but he would have got 100 in the offseason pretty easily i think yeah um you you look at you have scotty barnes on a rookie deal you have fred van vliet uh, who is on if i remember correctly the third year of his contract uh you have gary trent who's on the first year of his extension look they're, they're a little bit ahead of where orlando is mm-hmm. but like they're still rebuilding in like a pretty real way Whereas Orlando is rebuilding studs up in like having to figure out what's going on with the entirety of their team. Building from a baseline to me is much better if you can actually do it than what Orlando is doing. So I, I think I would much rather be look this, this isn't like breaking news, right? But I'd much rather be in Toronto's position than even a team like Orlando's position where Orlando is going to be one of the three worst teams in the league this year. They're going to play unwatchable basketball and like, they're going to have these star, yeah. these young players who I really like Jalen Suggs again. Like I, I think that he would be my favorite young player on Toronto, if we're being honest. Sure. But I worry about like bringing up Jalen Suggs, like in the Orlando magic situation where there's no offensive movement and there's, playing two centers with him all the time in 
Wendell Carter <laughs> and Muhammad Bamba. And, you know, he's stuck in stuck next to Cole Anthony, who's just chucking up shots left and right versus Scotty Barnes, who's in Toronto and is getting a real opportunity to do what he does best and to succeed in ways that he is capable of succeeding in right now. So, yeah, the Raptors are in a really good space, not only to develop players, but also to win games. And I think that they should just take it as those things come right like sure if wins come great if losses come okay like not great but doesn't really matter long term so I, yeah. i'm a i'm a big fan of the way that toronto builds like i i think that they could stand to get better like uh contract structural value but like <laughs> whenever we're talking about uh such like it's such a trivial thing right like okay giving Gary Tran a three-year deal with a player option. Like that's not a good contract, but you know, wh- whatever, what can you do? Right. Yeah. Um, they got OGs. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah like in the, in the big picture, <laughs> yeah. it's just such a small, in the big picture, it's such a small thing. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. Like getting all of the big decisions right is so much more important than, you know, giving Ken Birch like three guaranteed years or whatever, and giving uh, Gary Trent a two plus one deal. Like, that stuff doesn't matter. I mean, it matters like on the margins, but when you're at the space that Toronto's at now, it doesn't matter all that much. Just make the big decisions, get them right. And look, I think that they certainly didn't get the Scotty Barnes decision wrong. Let's put it that way. Like mm. they, they might not have gotten it right. Like maybe my hypothesis ends up being correct and Jalen Suggs is better, but it doesn't matter because they didn't get the pick wrong. Like getting the yeah. pick wrong would have been taking, you know, someone who is not as effective as Scotty Barnes. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas getting the pick right is, uh, yeah, sorry, I have a cat that's squeaking that's okay. uh, on my floor right now. That's all yeah. good. He agrees there with your magic cat. takes. <laughs> um, getting the pick wrong would have been taking a bad player. As long as you got the pick, like, maybe not right, but you yeah. hit on the pick. That's all that matters. It's an ongoing joke with Raptor fans that uh, anytime they play the magic, it's just like, God, the magic again, because the games are always boring. The only thing that made it interesting is when Aaron Gordon and Kyle Lowry got into their little feud that made it um, somewhat watchable. (laughs) But other than that, it's just like, oh, God, the magic. So my counsel to you is for your sanity. Please stop watching the magic or like take like a two week hiatus because it's just not good. Like You're going to start hating basketball. and That's not good. Invest more time into the Raptors. Thanks. I, I bet on the Knicks tonight, so I, I will watch the Magic game, yeah. but uh, I, I will not watch many after that for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, make some money tonight. Um, I'm hoping I make some money as well tonight. And uh, again, <laughs> Sam, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Rappers of Everything podcast. My name's Emmett Mann, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.